Amen. You be seated this morning. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're at. We'll start in verse 17. I tell you, I, I love Texas, and one of the things I love so much about Texas is this need to make everything bigger, which includes, for some reason, an infatuation about building roads on top of roads. So uh, you, you come to an intersection, you're like, how many roads can we stack on top of each other? Which is generally pretty cool until an ice storm hits, and then it's just pretty dangerous. But the other day I was um, driving up 35 and took, took the ramp to I-30, and I thought to myself, I wonder it, what, how I would drive this if there were no guardrails. I mean, just get that picture. I wonder if it would change in my life. Now, mind you, I have never once hit a guardrail on one of those ramps. So, I mean, in theory, it really shouldn't change much, and yet it would change a lot. All of a sudden, I would be gripped with the reality of, of what happens if I, I fall under. And I've come to the general consensus that guardrails are good. They're helpful. They're good when you're driving. They're good when we come to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do and to walk. So today we're going to look at how to press on toward the goal to win the prize. Now, in Philippians, we've already talked about, Paul has talked about, look, as long as the gospel is proclaimed in chapter one, we're going to rejoice. And then in chapter two, he calls the church at Philippi, this church he loves, this church he, he longs for. And he says, hey, in these moments, you're going to have to put your own desires aside, consider each other more important than yourselves. And when you're struggling with that, just remember what Christ did. He laid down his life for you. And in chapter three, he begins by warning of those who would come and seek to, to share a gospel that is different, that yes, it's Jesus, but then you have to be circumcised or you have to follow the Mosaic law. And, and Paul vehemently denies that. And he says, look, in my own life and heart, if anybody might have standing before God, it might be me. Look at all my credentials. And yet I consider them as dung or rubbish in comparison to what Christ has done. And then he challenges the Philippian church last week, we heard, to press on toward the goal to win the prize. That we must stay, stay faithful and steady in that. And today, he's going to share with us how we do that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired on that journey. How do we press on continually to win the prize? And in verse 17, we find the first thing. Here's what he says. Brothers... Notice the family relationship he's calling them. The church is a family. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So the first thing Paul says is, look, Philippian church, if you're going to run the race, if you're going to uh, continue on to win the prize, the first thing you have to do is recognize you need each other and we need people to imitate. We need faithful people in our life that we're going to imitate the Christian walk through and with them. Paul challenges them to keep their eyes focused. That, that means a focused attention. You're not looking to the left or right. You're not getting distracted by other things, but you're like, hey, I see that person. He's ahead of me. In fact, he looks more like Jesus. He acts more like Jesus or she looks more like Jesus. She acts more like Jesus. I, I'm gonna imitate some of those things that, that they do. Now, Paul has, is not saying that he's perfect and therefore you should do everything he's, he's doing. Uh, he's already said that in, in chapter three, not that I'm perfect. And then he also 
he's not saying that, hey, in order to do this, you have to go get arrested and be in house prison in Rome and do exactly what I do. Instead, he's saying, I'm pressing on to win the prize. You guys come and imitate me and let's run this together. Join together to imitate. This is a command that Paul gives. Paul is the first Christian that they knew about, that stood with them, that taught them, that encouraged them. Paul is running the race set out before him, calling them to do the same. I would ask you today, who has been an encouragement in your life? Who do you imitate? Do you have someone that you go, man, they, they look and, and act more like Jesus than I do. I want to get close to them. I want to help or encourage them. And then I want to imitate them as they run the race. That's a good thing that we should do. Young people, find somebody who's been in the race longer than you and who's doing it consistently and sit down with them. Let them pour into your life. And then once we find those faithful people, we run with them. First, we imitate the faithful. How do we press on to win the prize? Second thing we do is we avoid imitating the unfaithful. Look at verse 18. He goes on. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Notice this, with minds set on earthly things. Paul sets up this second danger. He's already said, hey, be careful of those who would add things to the gospel that you have to, to do something. But now he encourages them also of a second danger. Don't walk consumed with your mind on earthly things. We are to be about so much more than that. Now, the question is asked, who is Paul referring to here? And there's genuine discussion. We, we don't know for sure who he is. He might be referring to backslidden Christians those who, who followed Christ but now have been uh, uh, torn away by the concerns of the world and they're no longer active within the community. He, he, and uh, he might have been referring to those who would say, hey, Christ has paid all the price for my sins, so let's go sin some more. Paul's going to address that in Romans. That's a, that's, that's a no-go. But, but the lure to say, hey, we can go and do now what we want uh, for freedom because Christ has already paid everything. Maybe he's referring to the pagans. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself looking at people in this world and going, maybe that's not so bad. I mean, certainly seems to be working out for them, at least from what I can see on their Facebook page or, or Twitter handle. And Paul says, look, in, in that, or, or maybe he's, he's talking about the Judaizers from earlier in the chapter. Look, they are so consumed in this fleshly uh, walking out of the Christian faith that you have to do this and this and this that you're missing it. And I don't know, but, but we see a description of what takes place in their lives. First, their end is destruction. In other words, it's not going to end up good for them. This may mean, if, it, if, it's a, if it's the unbelievers, it may mean hell, but it just may mean that their life will come to ruin apart from him. We, we see an example of that in Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. And they're lying to the Holy Spirit and they're both struck dead. An untimely end based on disobedience. He says their God is their belly. In other words, they have fleshly appetites that rule over them more than God does. What they worship, what they long for. Sure, they might come to church 
on Sunday, but really what they live for is what comes throughout the week. Whatever they want, desire, that's what they're gonna pursue. That becomes their God. They take pride in their shame. God's holiness has become obscured to them in their freedom and they have lost what they should be ashamed for. Now they take pride in. And then he said, with minds set on earthly things. That what consumes their mind, remember, Paul's just said, set your eyes on, the, on someone who's faithful and imitate. Imitate me, he says. And now he says, but these people, they're not only watching someone who's faithful, but their minds are set on worldly things. The temporary things, the fleshly things, the things that may provide just but a moment of uh, fun and then are fleeting and leave us desiring more. In John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he outlines the journey of Christian from salvation and from the journey to Christ and then to the celestial city. And along the path, he's joined by a friend named Faithful, and they happen upon a place called Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair, by the description, sounds amazing. Uh, there's uh, so much going on. That fair had been taking place for over 5,000 years, and within that fair, you could find everything the world has to offer. You could buy lands to set yourself up as someone who can control them. You could buy titles uh, and, and gain titles so that other people might see how important you are. You could build kingdoms in Vanity Fair. You could uh, obtain jewels and great riches. You could have control over people and any fleshly desire, anything your soul would want was readily available in Vanity Fair. And the temptation was, maybe we, maybe we could just stop for a little while and hang out. I mean, we've been traveling the journey with Christ I'm tired, let's just, let's park here for a little while. Take a little vacation. If you know the story, you know Faithful, who, who remains steadfast in it. Uh, Vanity Fair is not too thrilled with, with him not partaking with them, and, and he dies at that place, standing on, on Christ alone. And Christian leaves Vanity Fair to continue on his journey. Vanity Fair is still happening today. It's still every bit as glitzy and glamorous as it was to Christian and faithful. And the world allures and says, come, take a load off. You've been traveling too far. Your God is being too tough on you. Look at all you can obtain in this world. You don't have to stay here forever. Just hang out for a little bit. And Christians today are coming to ruin because they're spending their lives with their minds on earthly things. Christ has come. He has sacrificed himself for us. And yet we would be allured away to come hang out at Vanity Fair. If we're gonna press on toward the goal, we have to imitate the faithful. And secondly, we have to avoid imitating the unfaithful. Don't go there. And third, instead of that, we anticipate the soon coming Christ as king. Look at verse 20. But, he says, so he's, he's contrasting those that would do these things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, you got to remember, you don't live in Vanity Fair. In fact, you don't live on the journey on the road. Your citizenship is somewhere else. Your citizenship is in heaven. And I love this term. These verses are so chock full of truth. But the, the term he uses, the citizenship, is not just you belong there, but it's the idea of a foreign colony that's been set up in a foreign land. So a, when, when a, a conquering ruler would conquer a, a land, he would set up a colony there of citizens of his country. And their task was to let the people know, here's what life looks like now. Here's what life looks like under your ruler. And so he says, he uses that word, look, you aren't uh, just anybody, you are a commonwealth, a community, the church at Philippi in a foreign land meant to tell people your land, there is a ruler over you and he has come for you. Remember, your citizenship is in heaven. Here's where it gets even sweeter. Philippi was that colony for Macedonia. They had set up that. The, the people at Philippi were Roman citizens. They were living there uh, within the time. And so Paul says, no, no, no. You think you're a Roman citizen. That's great. Uh, and, and you connect there. But instead, just that, just remember, your, your home's really not in Rome. Your home's in heaven. And you're not just here to, to dictate the, the wants of Rome. You're here to proclaim and declare that there is a ruler over all. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who declare our God reigns. That is the message of our church. That is the message of, our, of the Christians that say he is over all. Not only that, but he says we eagerly, with anticipation, that word means a driving, we await a savior who is coming again to transform us. There's an intensity to that waiting. When I was growing up, I knew an intensity looking forward to Christmas morning. I lived in intensity. I really did not enjoy December very much because every day I would wake up and I would check off how many days I had to wait till Christmas morning. And my intensity was focused on Christmas morning. And then Christmas morning would come and I would enjoy that. And then depression would set in as I realized it's a whole nother year before Christmas morning again. I was focused on that, eagerly awaiting. Now that I'm older, I tend to enjoy the season more than even the morning. I love, I love that time, but the sights and the sounds and the sweetness. And here's where I'm going to flip it. Paul's saying, go back to eagerly anticipating Christmas morning. Maybe we've become a little bit too comfortable in the sights and the sounds of this world to forget Christ is coming. He's coming again. And that becomes our motivation and our longing to see him come. And whether we get to physically see that right now on earth, it, it, it's imminent, it could happen anytime, or someone else, we, that becomes our motivation to recognize he's coming again. And here's, here's where it gets good. You would think, Paul was gonna say, our citizenship is in heaven, and that's where we're gonna go someday. But that's not what he says. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and from there we await a savior who's coming again. In other words, he's coming to the colony. He's gonna set up his rule and reign here. Today, many of you are going through a mess. I don't know what each situation is, 
But you start to unpack your life and you go, Ben, this is a, a jumbled mess. What are we to do? How do I press on toward the goal in the middle of this? And here's how we do it. We need an anticipation to take our eyes off of our mess and to put them on the one who is coming to fix the mess. I've been challenged this week and convicted. How often does the second coming of Christ affect what I do on a daily basis? Paul is saying it should. It should motivate us knowing he's coming again and he's gonna transform us to be like him, his glorious body. This should be the longing of our heart more than anything Vanity Fair would have to offer or more than anything our own accolades or, or what we try to do for his uh, glory should offer, the, the joy of being transformed into the image of Christ. We are being transformed and one day it will be complete. So in light of all this, we press on by imitating the faithful, avoiding the unfaithful to anticipate, eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. And Paul draws us to, to a climax here. In, the, in, in chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, my brothers, in other words, considering all of this, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, you get the idea, he is, he's recognizing their place in his heart and life and he's building anticipation. What I am about to tell you matters. I long for you, my joy, my crown, my brothers. Listen, if there's one thing I want you to understand in this, it is this, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. He is pleading with them as family. Avoid the danger of the, of the side of the road that would say, I can do something for, for God that would give him a pleasure in my life. That if, if I do these certain things, then all of a sudden he's going to accept me. And avoid the part of the road where it says, you know what, because Jesus has paid it all, I'm just going to go have some fun, go uh, uh, live in the flesh, and I'll just ask for forgiveness and come back. And he's saying, avoid those two. And in the middle of the road, Stand firm, not to the left or the right, continue on. That term, that idea means an unwavering in our commitment to the hope and the belief that Jesus is returning. But it's not just stand firm. To stand firm, I don't know about you, sometimes that gets tiring but he's given us the key. We stand firm in the Lord. Not in our own strength or power, not in our own ability to drive the car, not off the rails, but in the Lord, who the Lord is and what he has accomplished for us. The guardrails on the road uh, to, to win the prize are the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when I'm tempted to lean over in my own understanding and power and to say, wow, maybe God is, is proud of me. Maybe what I did today gives me brownie points for salvation. The gospel goes, whoa, no, 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 no. There are none of that. Your, your righteousness, what you are in your best state, that's like filthy rags. Don't, don't go over there. There's destruction. And then when I'm tempted to go, hey, uh, praise God for his grace. And I'm just going to go enjoy, hang out in Vanity Fair for a little while, live the pleasures of this life. And eventually I'll get back to the road and go. The gospel goes, no, 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 no. No, come back. Jesus died for our sins. 
his death is way too precious to waste it, to, to think less of it in those moments. So the gospel becomes the, the guardrails that we, that we live out, that we press on to win the goal, to win the prize. Jesus, knowing our desperate need, knowing we could not earn salvation, came to earth, lived the life we could not live. We've already failed and he came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He took my punishment upon himself so that I could live. And he died on the cross with that punishment and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he has promised to return physically one day. That's the good news of the gospel that keeps us journeying, walking, going down the path. There's a Creole phrase that I've, I've come to love. A, a mentor uh, introduced me to it. And when I was, Haiti, I was in Haiti, uh, I was able to hear it. And it's, it's the word kembe fem. And kembe fem translated means to maintain strength. To maintain strength. And it's such a beautiful picture of what Paul's talking about here. Stand firm. Continue on on the road. Uh, the residents will roll their eyes. They've heard for this from me many times. If you've gotten an email from me, probably I've signed it with my translation of that term, which means, what, which I translate it steady on. Steady on. In good times, steady on. Press on toward the goal. In bad times, steady on. When I'm tempted to veer to the left or to the right, count on legalism or extravagance or, or fleshly desires, steady on. When I'm depressed, steady on. When I'm excited, steady on. Stand firm, steady on. Travis Avenue in our future, the task at head, a task that, we're praying even today, Lord, give us wisdom in what you would have for the future. Can I encourage us to lean on the goodness of the gospel? Not in our own merits, not in what we've accomplished in the past, but the grace of Jesus Christ. And can I challenge us to avoid the pitfalls of Vanity Fair and to steady on. Wherever the road may lead, until the day we arrive and we are like him. Just ask you four questions as we end. Who do you imitate? Who do you desire to be like in your life? Who, who we admire, we imitate. And is that person uh, someone who looks more like Jesus than you? Maybe today we need maybe to imitate someone else to recognize I need a mentor in my life. I need a brother or sister to come alongside me, to sojourn with me because I'm kind of all over the place on the road. Second question is this, what do you think about? In those brief moments in your life when you're not consumed with something else that you have to do in your free time, what consumes you? What do you think about? 401k, future, direction, what do you worry about? Paul says, look, don't set your mind on earthly things, on temporary things. 
but to, to set your mind and focus ahead. Third question is this, what are you longing for? I mean, deep down inside, yeah, you may be here today, but the longing of your heart is to be somewhere else and doing something else. I would just ask, anybody here kind of taking a pit stop at Vanity Fair? And you're quickened today by the Holy Spirit that it's time to repent and to to embrace the grace that's there for us when we do stop and begin to press on toward the goal. Today's the day. Where are you wavering? What sin or habit in your life, what attitude needs the gospel, needs the guardrails to go, whoa, 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 wait, come back here. Our assignment is to steady on toward the goal. I would just ask in this time of response that you do what the Lord is calling you to do. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, can I encourage you today? It would be a wonderful day to realize, look, I, I can't do it on my own in my own efforts and uh, my desires will lead me astray. I need Christ. Would you place your trust in Christ today? Even when we're about to sing, I'll be down here, Matt will be down here. You can come, we, just share with us. I, I need to trust Christ. We'd love to pray with you and celebrate and encourage you in that step. Whatever God would call us to do today in order for us to steady on, that is the goal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful guardrails of the gospel that challenge us and encourage us. And Lord, I pray today where there is need for those who find themselves in Vanity Fair that today, they would pick up the mantle and steady on. Lord, today for those that are trusting in their own effort, that they would lay it down and steady on. Lord, we look with anticipation for the day you will come again and transform us. And we long for that day. And so we live today with the real knowledge and understanding it's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing.